Welcome to the Liberty Moms podcast. Chris Kimball is hosting today. Liberty Moms are the real secretaries of defense when it comes to their communities, their families, and their children. And we are in the thick of campaign season, midterms 2022. My goodness, it seemed like that was far off after what we saw happen in 2020, but it's at our doorstep. And so I'm excited because I've got Uh, One of the Senate candidates that are running for the Senate seat in the Utah House, sorry, not the Utah House, the Utah Legislature joining me today. Dan Sorensen is my guest today. Dan, thank you for for hopping on and being my guest and uh, talking about your race. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Great to see you again. Yes, this uh, election cycle is what we are clinging to for hope in the midst of this Oh my goodness, I don't know what you call it. Talk about a, a, a spiral. The, the, the woke tide that yeah. seems to be spreading across the community. Yeah, the wokeism and the economic downturn. I mean, when we were... Um, kind of related, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not coincidence that it happened right after um, we, uh, we, meaning the Republicans, lost the... Um, the uh, the White House, okay. Um, surprise at all, we lost the Senate, and well, it was a tie, but basically we lost the Senate because right. of, uh, Kamala Harris has the tie-breaking vote, and then we lost the House. So we've really um, a- everything that we're seeing right now is at the hands of the Democrats. It's at their feet. They've implemented and and uh, put all this into place. But here in Utah, we have had um, we are considered a red state, although. There's a lot of times where this red state seems to really buy into a lot of blue ideology, unfortunately, and our governor is far from a conservative, we have found, since he has taken over office. And so we really are counting on the legislature to to push back on some of his um, ideology and uh, really secure our families and make sure that girl sports is protected and and that voters can feel confident about going to the ballot booth and making sure that their votes are safe and secure. And so all of those are kind of issues that surfaced after 2020. But Dan, tell us, you're, you're running in Senate District 14, which is in the Salt Lake Valley, Salt Lake County area. What area does that include and why did you decide to jump in the race? Well, um, when I, <laughs> well, if you really want to know the, the 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 whole sausage factory story behind me getting in the race, it it, it may seem a little. Uh, sometimes when I tell it, people go, well, don't, "Don't you take it seriously?" Well, I, I am taking it very seriously. But when I when I the truth is, when I was I was sitting at home last March, um, our youngest son had had just left on a mission to Brazil 
our our other kids, you know, my four oldest were married. My my second oldest, my second youngest son was down at BYU. We were kind of, for the first time, just kind of going, "Wow, this is uh, this is a little different. It's a little quieter around the house now." And I was reading a book and and uh, and just thinking about how how kind of nice this phase of life is <laughs> is going to be. A couple of grandkids coming along, and and my my phone starts buzzing and. And I look, and there's a few texts from from my friend Matt Jarman, who had been down at the Republican committee organizing the the county Republican meeting, and and uh, this was the night before the filing deadline. And he pointed out to them that they didn't have a candidate running in District 14 for the Senate District 14. And I said, "Well, that's that's too bad, Matt. Somebody should run, you know." And he said, "Well, well, Dan, I." I told them that I had the guy that, that could do it. And, and, uh, and I said, Oh, great. How can I help? Who, who, who is it? And, and, you know, he, he went on to persuade me and I, I wasn't persuaded. I, I went to bed that night saying, no, Matt, that's not, that's not something I want to do. I care about it. I'll support, I'll help you find somebody. And uh, next morning there were six more texts on my phone saying why I had to do it. And, and he really, Feel strongly about it. I said, Matt, even if I wanted to do it, my wife would never go for a public office run. I, I just can't do it. Let's look elsewhere. And I, I got in the shower, got ready for work. I came out and Matt and my wife, Jana, were sitting at the kitchen table filling out the filing paperwork. <laughs> so so uh, she just looked at me and she said, Dan, I, Matt's right. You need to do this. And you're not just going to let the next Democrat um, walk into this office without a challenge. And so, you know, at first- I love that story. (laughs) Story, because honestly, we want people who aren't really, they're engaged, you're engaged, you're you're ready to help whomever. It's not like you're apathetic about anything. Right. You know what, you're not seeking what can lead, that what can happen in this office, which is connections, power, prestige, (laughs) um, notoriety, you're not looking for that. And those are the kind of people we need serving us. Okay. People yeah. that are humble that just want to go in and do the job. Yeah. Well, I won't, I won't claim to be humble in case my wife's listening, but, but, uh, but I, I, I do agree that I'm not a fan of electing people who just want to be a Senator or who want to be a, mm-hmm. a, a Congress person or, you know, I, I, uh, I do think there are some flaws in our system that way. It does attract uh, kind of this vanity culture and, and uh, more people. I think, I, I mean, I shouldn't assume the worst, but I, I do feel like we get more people running who just want to be something rather than represent their, their neighbors and, and protect their neighbors' rights and freedoms. And, right. and that's really all I want to do. And, and that's the only thing that motivates me on this. Well, I'll tell you, there's 2022 is a very interesting election cycle because it's different than what we've had in the last four or four cycles because we just went through and had redistricting. And so just to educate the listeners, we have a census that happens on every 10 years. So in 2020, there was a census and the results of that census shifts voting districts. It shifts congressional seats. In fact, we saw... Um, California, New York, 
I don't remember all the liberal states actually lost congressional seats in Congress, and they were shifted over to more of red states where people are moving. There is a there is a uh, a move across the country from people leaving red blue states and moving into red states because the blue states are either taxing their people so high or they've got such horrible policies with education or um, environmental issues, things like that. People can't do business or they want to protect their children. And so they're moving out of these these, uh, horribly managed states with blue ideologies coming to the red states, but it shifts within Utah as well. And so our particular Senate district, which you and I were in the same one at at, um, prior, we had a Democrat representative, um, Senator Iwamato. And she decided not to run. And so we basically have an open race, which is an ideal time for anybody to run because you're not running against a sitting incumbent. And in your situation, you you do have a Democrat opponent, but she is in the House. She's in the current uh, legislature as a House member. But as you told me uh, last week, she only has two precincts in this whole entire Senate district that overlap. And so for the most part, she is unknown. Her name isn't known. And it's basically an open race. Yeah, I think she, she, I think she probably took for granted that it would be just another Democrat and, and put her effort into that primary race that she had. Most of the, most of the local Democrat establishment here in Holiday and Mill Creek um, and Murray you know, endorsed her, endorsed her opponent's candidacy during the primary. I know. And, and uh, they really, I think that the reason they did that, I, I can only assume, I actually talked to Carol Spackman Moss about it the other day. I had a chance to, to visit with her and, and uh, I don't know if I should reveal too much of what she said. But, but, well, but she, I've learned, oh, go ahead. But anyway, she, I, I did ask her about that and she was a little bit coy about why, why she, why they all supported um, the other the other Democrat, um, but I definitely got the sense that they're worried about the stridency of of my opponent and her very bold and loud um, expression of really woke values. Really woke. I mean, all <laughs> she's all the way in abortion on demand. She's all the way in on transgender, uh, queer gender. Uh, theory being available for kids and, and uh, you know, those, those things don't fly that well. The, the Democrats that have held this seat before have never been that kind of Democrat. They've never been so, even if they vote kind of that way, <laughs> they never right. talk about it and not posting about it. And, and uh, so that's an interesting dynamic in this race. And, right. and the You're fact right. that she's so, not as well known, she's not as well seated in the, she hasn't, you know, she hasn't lived in the community much. She, she works in Davis County as a, as a, you know, government prosecutor. And um, so, you know, we've got, we've got that to choose from, or we've got a, a guy that has spent his entire life, uh, literally, as you heard Brian and I talking about our days at William Penn Elementary. Um and spent my entire life here in the district. The district was literally 
you know, she's suing. My opponent is suing the legislature for, for redistricting the way they did it. She's suing, claiming gerrymandering and, and, uh, and I don't know if, if that's true. It's kind of funny that they didn't, that if the Republicans really drew the district to, to, for, to give advantage to a Republican, why didn't they have a candidate running? <laughs> you know, that's, that's a little irony on the side. Right. Well, and you know what I had heard about the redistricting is here's, I went up and testified uh, during one, the one committee hearing. It's the only time I've really been terrified to testifying in a committee hearing in Utah. And it's because I was up there, I'm, there was just a handful of Republicans that went up there and it was mostly Democrats and they were all pushing back against the legislature, but the legislature had gone in and they talked with all of the Democrats and I'm sure your opponent was part of it, but they pretty well got consensus on the, the maps that they came up with. It wasn't like they just totally ignored, no, they went in and there was consensus. It's just that the media and the commission, which is such a falsehood because we're not set up. Our, our uh, republic is not set up to have some commission who we don't, we can't kick them out of office. We don't have any recourses. We, the people on a commission, that's why you have your elected officials that draw up the boundaries so that if we're unhappy, then we vote them out of office. They yeah. accountable. And so my understanding was some of those maps, I mean, I looked at my ledge district for holiday. They were going to have holiday combined with Park City. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. Geographically, okay, and ideologically, and it was just so ridiculous, you know. Yeah, I, I, I wrote a uh, I wrote an editorial and they printed it in the Deseret News about 10 days ago. Um in response, actually, to Steph, to to Stephanie's, uh, you know, my opponent, she had she had had a, a piece in the Deseret News talking about her lawsuit and and uh, claiming that, you know, for example, my my home city, Mill Creek, was divided up into three or you know, I think all four, maybe maybe all four, if not if not, it's through the three um, congressional districts statewide meet right here in Mill Creek. But you've got to meet somewhere, you know. So, right. And and my point was, you know, my opponent is saying that Mill Creek has been divided up, and we should make these districts, these voting districts, based around communities, you know, natural, organic communities with common interests. And I just went on to say, you know, I don't know what what Stephanie knows about this community, but I I was born and raised in in Mill Creek. I worked as a teenager at my family business in Sugar House, which is also part of the district. I married a girl from the Parley's area of Sugar House, which is part of the district. I, we, we established our home in Canyon Rim originally, and then we built a home here in East Mill Creek and established my business in Murray, in East Murray, where the, where the, uh, you know, where the district goes now. And, and so, you know, for me, and, and the people I know in this community and, you know, the, the, the friendly rivalries we shared, you know, when I was in high school at Olympus with Highland High and with Murray and Cottonwood High and Skyline High, you know, we're all, we've all entered, this is a very organic community as far as it I It really is. As yeah. as I'm I, I don't think the legislature could have driven, written up a, 
you know, drawn up a better district to represent an organic community like they did in the district 14. So that's, that's an interesting little side note. That's the dynamic that's going on in this race, but we haven't talked directly about that, but we kind of had our different pieces in the paper about it. But. Well, and it's interesting that she has decided that the opportunity to run for Senate is actually quite ideal because, um, it's, it's a new district, of course. Well, not new, but it's been re, um, uh, reformatted a little bit, which all of them have. There's not one ledge seat or Senate seat that isn't different from yeah. last year or last election cycle. So, But um, she's looking at it as an advantageous move for her to move into the, House, into the Senate. So why she's turning around and suing the state and costing the taxpayer money, I don't understand because she's taking advantage of the redistricting and running for office. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe she's looking more forward. I, I have a hunch that this is something that she wants to do as a career. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, cause she's already a, like I say, she works in government now and, and that's already her, you know, her focus. And, and I think that she may, may be really interested in shooting for, for a, you know, a U.S. house seat at some point. And, yeah. you know, it used to be that Salt Lake County was mostly just one district. That's back when Wayne Owens owned the, the, the district, you know, and then, then it, they, they started dividing it up a little different and, and kind of dividing the whole state up and meeting in Salt Lake County. So um, it's definitely harder for a Democrat to win those seats now than it, than it was, well, to win Salt Lake County than it used to be. To win Salt Lake County, right. Because yeah. when De- and I think there were only two congressional seats. We got that third seat in 2000. And then, yeah. in, um, oh gosh, what was it, 2010? 2010 is when we got the fourth congressional seat. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So, yeah, you know, so, I, think it's, I think it's perfectly reasonable to split up Solid County. I mean, it's a very mixed bag anyway, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of Republicans in Salt Lake County that don't want to be controlled permanently by, you know, by Democrats. And, and so it, it seems reasonable that the Democrats have to struggle to win. When, well, I've uh, always felt, too, that if you're really representing Utah, which you are as a congressperson, then you would be you've got both Utah's rural and Utah is is urban and right. you need to be able to represent all those individuals, right? Uh, you know, and so I, I don't have a problem with that, but I can see where they, you know, they had that. Oh, we've got, we've got, we've got four, we've got four reps in, in the U S house, let them each take a quarter of the state and, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. Well, okay. So your opponent, I, I have been very familiar with her voting record and she's, as you mentioned before, um, She's got a very liberal voting record, but she's also very um, active in speaking out publicly and and uh, engaging in the process. So, um, and my, I would just say that I I don't say that to. I mean, I I wrote her and I actually commended her for being so bold and open about her views because I think a lot of Utah Democrats don't always um, they're not always that forthcoming with how they really feel and and right. I I admire that. I told her, you know, I'm I'm the same way. So it should be a fun race. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know um, my particular representative, as you mentioned, is Carol Moss and uh, yeah, she's been very 
um, here's the deal with her um, with her endorsement. This gal that ran against your opponent um, actually um, was part of a um, some sexual abuse. Um, right. The parent, right? And Carol has been trying to change some of the um, education. Um, what we teach our children in the sex education programs and things like that. And so if her, if this gal got in, in the Senate, it would have been a huge boon for Carol to be able to pass this legislation that she hasn't been able to pass because it's not the way, it's not what we want to be teaching our children. Okay. And it's changing um, some of the uh, curriculum in the classroom. And so anyway, but let's talk about your race because I'm super excited knowing that um, you have a really good opportunity to be the senator from Senate District 14, which is so exciting. Okay, and um, we've got a lot of people in um, the independents. I mean, I know that's what they're doing a lot of polling on and they're starting to feel the impact of policies that are horrible to families, to the economy. And I think they're ready for a change. And I think that's going to trickle down even into our Senate seats in Utah, as well as the House seats. Yeah. Yeah, I think that when you mentioned the independents, there are a ton of them. I mean, I think that the district has about, oh, something in the neighborhood of 25,000 Republicans. There's 60,000 voters and, and 16,000 registered Democrats. So it seems like we should win. But there are 19,000 unaffiliated and they tend to lean they've been leaning to to vote democrat so you know if we can if we can win a a decent percentage of those and keep the republicans in the you know at home then then uh, we do have a decent chance and so that's what we're really working at we and we have had amazing support and you know there are 82 precincts in the district from murray through holiday and then mill creek and then over to Sugar House and parties. And we've got, we've had people step up in almost every one of those precincts to help us um, organize and, and distribute uh, flyers and, and make calls. And so <laughs> that's, been, that's been really encouraging. You know, I started out a little discouraged, like, look, I'll put my name on the ballot, I'll put up a website, but you know, we're gonna lose this district, you know? <laughs> it's just been going that way. And, uh-huh. and then, People start calling, people start sending money, asking what they can do. And I, you know, Jan and I just looked at each other one night back in about June and said, we're gonna have to really, we're gonna have to really make a go of this because there's actually some energy out there and there are actually some people willing to to put it out and, and work and and donate. And you get to the point where you just want to honor that and and so really make a go of it. So I think that, you know, that if nothing else, Chris, this is encouraging to see people stepping up and wanting to help. That's because- great to hear. Dan, we are we are on our way to a short break. We've okay. got more that we're gonna talk about. So stay with us. This is the Liberty Mom Show, and we'll be back after the short break. Great.
Welcome back. This is the Liberty Moms podcast. Chris Kimball hosting today, and I've been talking with the candidate who's running for Senate District 14 in Salt Lake County area, Dan Sorensen, and uh, super excited that he stepped up to the plate because there was nobody running in this elect in this particular race, and it was an open race without the incumbent, you know, deciding to run, and so. I know I was one of those that kept watching every day, Dan. I was pulling up the report going, shoot, no one else has jumped in yet. And uh, I really feel like we have a responsibility. You know, Ben Franklin said, um, when they asked what kind of government did you give us? And he said, it's a republic if you can keep it. We have a responsibility with a republic because it's representative government, which means we, the people, have to step up to the plate and, and serve our fellow neighbors and and constituents. And so um, not everybody has the ability to do it, but if you do, it's it's really a, a duty to do it. And it's a sacrifice. I've run for office and I totally understand all the work that it is. And so I have to say that I didn't put any, I didn't put a lot of effort into what was happening with your race until after the um, the primaries, okay? Because there were so many good people that were running and had primaries that I was busy with school board elections and everything else in other parts of the state up in Davis County and which is where I lived for a number of years. And so once the primary settled, I thought I need to check out and see who's running to be my Senator. (laughs) That is when I went to your website and I was like, wow, this is awesome. This guy's for like, is this for real? Like, I'm reading everything, going out every link, and 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 I sent you a donation right right away. I was like, oh, I this guy needs, I need to support this guy. This guy's great. And I so, remember, I remember the night we got that donation. I looked and I said, honey, this is the liter- the Liberty Mom lady. This is great. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And I'm very selective. I don't, I'm not giving money to just anybody just because you've got an R behind your name, because I know there's a lot of people that run that way and no, they're not Republican. And so I was, you know, super pleased with um, what I read and that you were very open and um, forthright and, and this is who I am and this, this is where I stand on, on issues. And so that is very um, rare nowadays. People try to couch and be a little um, not as committed on one way or the other, trying to play both sides, whatever. And so yeah, I really- I've, not- I've noticed that as I've looked at some of the uh, legislative campaigns, websites, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of substance on them usually. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. and, and I was, and I was, I've been advised not to put so much on there. I, you know, I've had people that have been kind of consulting with us and, and saying, Dan, you you don't need to put that much information out there. And you know, my response is really, you know, <laughs> if if I can't win on on what I believe, then what am I doing? I'm not. I don't have this ambition to be sitting in the legislature. I I I have an ambition to to protect and promote the principles of freedom and independent living and and limited government limited because to the degree we limit the government 
is to is the degree that we flourish as a people. And that doesn't mean we don't need any government, you know, and obviously we we need the government to work on infrastructure. We need we need, you know, sanitation services and emergency services. We we need to we need criminal justice system that works and and that enforces the 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 law as 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 far as the law and it, you know, I know the law gets a little complicated and carried away. And, and to that degree, I'm a little, I can become a little libertarian when it, when it gets to, 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 when, you know, we had 500 bills passed through the legislature last year and uh, you know, I'm probably getting off on a tangent now, but, but when I, when I saw that, I, I asked somebody I know well, up at the, the, that's the, you know, one of the attorneys that writes the bills up there um and she she said yeah that's pretty average and i was like i did not know that i did not know that we were passing 500 pieces of legislation every legislative session and you know hopefully some of that's improving existing law and and obviously it, it would yeah be. but you know one of the first questions that came to me from a constituent was what Dan, what's your legislative agenda? And this was just like a few days after I'd filed. I, I wasn't, I didn't have a legislative agenda. And the only thing that came to me was, I mean, right now, honestly, probably my legislative agenda would be to slow down the legislative agenda. Because I think that, I think that we, we are in such a hyper mode of, of crisis management and jumping from one, it's almost like we need a crisis to keep us, to, to make us feel purpose as a society. We, and, and of course, politics thrives on that. Politicians thrive on that. Government thrives on that. And uh, so, yeah, I, my, my question or my, uh, my response to, to her was, was essentially, yeah, we, my, my feeling is the reason I'm in this and the reason I'm going to put some effort into this is to try to, if not, if not win the race, at least try to create, a dialogue around how much, how much really do we want to be led by the, by the nose, by politicians, you know, running us around from one crisis to the next, whether it's a virus or whether it's Ukraine or whether it's the drought or, you know, the Great Salt Lake, you know, there's, there's always something that they've got us fixed on and focused on <laughs> and, and empowering themselves with. And most of these things you know, can be, can be worked out among people voluntarily. And we don't really need the nanny state, you know, ordering us and, and managing our lives and taking our tax money to, to propagandize us um, often against each other. Um, I think that, you know, that's, that's really where I, I'm motivated is to try to reduce that, that heavy handed influence of, of the state and, and even we're in a red state we're in a republican state we still get it you know we still get that heavy-handedness we do well i would agree with you dan and i i love that response because granted yes it, it, there's there's laws that get tweaked or language that gets tweaked it has to it has to have a bill it has to go through the process so that is part of the 500 but we have some legislators my former senator, for example, up in Davis County, that pride themselves in in filing maybe thirty bills. Yeah, 
And they just think the more they file, the better they are, the bigger, the better senator that they are. And uh, they don't all get passed or anything, but they, they certainly have this um, aggrandizement by, you know, more is, I, I'm going to be more notorious if, or I have more notoriety if I pass more bills. And uh, that is definitely not what we need. That's, we don't need that mentality. And uh, what I liked on, on your particular um, website too, as I was looking at it, is you were looking and assessing what had you'd seen happen with our, our government, with the overreach. There was overreach that happened um, during COVID and how important it is that um, government just remembers that their job is to educate, but it's up to us to make our own personal decisions. That's, that was the whole founding of the constitution, which is based on God's law that we are responsible for ourselves. And, and parents are responsible for their children. And parents know best what is best for their children because they live with them in that microcosm of their home. They know their personalities, they know their, um, their strengths, their weaknesses, their insecurities. And so they know best how to nurture. And we saw that really fly out the window during um, the COVID. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And, and so- Coming uh, from, from our, our Republican leaders here in Utah, it was, it was amazing to me when, I mean, I just couldn't believe when I, when I saw, um, <laughs> sorry if I'm offending anybody that, that's a devout, because I, I love Gary Herbert as a person. I, I think he's a great guy, but my brother is a good friend of his. Um, but when he got up there and he had the public health regime standing behind him and, and uh, Spencer Cox standing there with him, and they're all in their masks, and they were just shaming everybody. And it was the biggest mask shaming event. It was in June of 2000. I think it was in June of 2000. I remember this. And, and uh, I, just, I just sat there made my skin crawl the way these guys were assuming all this knowledge for everybody. And, you know, I'm one that does get pretty motivated to research things in current events. And, and uh, I, I've studied and read and listened to plenty of Stanford and Harvard and Johns Hopkins epidemiologists questioning any value of mask wearing and even the social distancing programs. And, and, uh, and I thought, how on earth are these guys standing up there at the bully pulpit demanding that we all follow this, this uh, method of dealing with this pandemic, you know? And yet they were, they were, they were all in on it. And they were, and what really, what really got me was when the governor um, was calling out parents. I think they were down at Enterprise High School. Um, the, and, and they had the students come on to a Zoom meeting and and honored these students for for denouncing their parents. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I thought, Gary, what what's happened to you? That, yes, you? you know that is. See, Gary Herbert really evolved because honestly, when Gary Herbert was lieutenant governor, I heard him speak and at different events, and I thought he was great. In fact, when Huntsman left to become the ambassador to China, I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. Gary's yeah. going to be governor. And oh my goodness, did he change in that role of pre once a conservative into um, buying into Common Core and um, the federalization of our school system and removing you know, all, I can say, all I can imagine about that is that Gary 
Herbert had been in there too long, you know, because he was, he was a great guy, down to earth guy, you know, from everything I knew about him and, and solid in his, in his, uh, the way he approached government and, and, but man, it, you know, you, you're in there long enough, you get desensitized. I remember when Jonathan Johnson ran against him and he got a little nervous, you know, he got caught on tape saying, Hey, if there's money here, you know, I'm available Jones. I'll go out. Available Jones. You know, right. We, and you know, if you don't know who available Jones is, you know, it's a little cartoon oh, yeah. of a prostitute, right. You know, so, so, you know, when you get that, that caught up in it, you get that caught up in politics and power, you kind of start, you're, you kind of become willing to do anything. And, and then COVID comes along and it's just the perfect storm. And that was just the ultimate corrupting influence on a lot of political uh, officials. And, and it really got the better hand. I hated to see it, but. Yeah, it's uh, I, my, my witness during, I've been involved in the, and watching as a citizen lobbyist in, uh, lobbying for families and um, uh, lobbying, meaning as a volunteer. Okay, I'm not paid, obviously, but I'm I'm up there trying to protect um, policies that affect my children, my my grandchildren, and uh, I would see that time and time again as they you'd have these great guys and then they get into leadership and yeah. turn south and it's like whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> you used to be on this page over here and now you're over. Yeah, and it's sad. It's sad yeah. to see. That. Yeah, it's a tough system that way. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, and, and I don't know what you do about it. There's we haven't really come up with a better system anywhere. No, in the world. we haven't. But we just need good people who are principled, who understand. See, when you're grounded in principles, and I see this even with in Mike Lee's race. You know, there's been a, there's been some votes I have not agreed with with Mike. Okay, but overall, the majority. He's somebody that understands the principles of the Constitution, which protect our overriding laws of nature or God's law. They, they follow that. And when you err on the side of God, it actually is better for everyone, you know, mm-hmm. on laws and his and his um, we call it nature's law. But uh, that's what the Constitution is there to, to protect. And if you understand those principles, you understand that you can't go against them because you're defying godly principles right 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 and and you know whether you're religious or not you know the 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 principle of respect for freedom of respecting individual freedom individual liberty will guide you pretty well <laughs> whether you're religious mm-hmm. or not that that is a that is a basic decency that you owe to your fellow beings is to respect their their liberty and their freedom and and I, I really believe if, if, if policymakers apply that principle to every piece of legislation, every proposal, every matter of public policy that comes up, that that will, that will help them humanize what they're doing. And, and, you know, no matter how good or no matter how aspiring their, their hope is for that piece of legislation or how much they want it, how, think, how, how great they think it would be for everybody. If they can put themselves in the shoes of somebody who, who might not agree with it or might not want to adopt that in their life or that, you know, then at least it, it, it will soften, you know, the, the, the heavy handedness of the way public policy is impl- implemented. And, you know, I think if, if 
as a policymaker, if you, you know, it's right in the declaration, the, the self-evident um, rights, the unalienable rights, um, you, you know, which they imply are God-given in, in the declaration. Among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit. And those three things I've found, I almost can't find a, a, a public policy measure that I can't apply those to, to help me decide how to go about that, that measure or that piece of legislation. Whether it's protecting life or whether it's protecting liberty um, or whether it's protecting the pursuit. And the pursuit has a lot to do with the pursuit of, of property, you know, is what they were originally thinking. But it's just the pursuit of, of career or the pursuit of, of uh, vocation or uh, hobbies, creativity, you know, music, art. We, we just don't want to get in the way of those things. And, and COVID landed in all of those areas. The COVID policies landed in all those areas, violated all of them so horribly. And I honestly, Chris, I think that's the reason I'm running. I think that's why my wife agreed to sit down at the table and, and make that, uh, you know, fill out that paperwork and, and tell me that this was my duty to run. <laughs> it was because of what she did the last two years. Wait, yeah. It just was such, it was like a slap in the face, like, whoa, wait one minute. And this happened in Utah, you know, and, but, you know, there's what you just said is so important because I can only think of a handful of legislators in both the House and in the Senate who have actually made their votes based on what you just said. They look at what does this bill do to individual liberty, to our unalienable rights or unalienable rights, you know, what does that do? And is it protecting it or is it diminishing it? And that's how they would vote. And they weren't always popular with leadership, but you know what? We, the people loved these legislators because they were truly voting in a way that protected everybody's rights, you know? And uh, it, it, it's, I'm sorry to say, it's just not a novel. It's a novel thing in our, in our particular, um, Senate and legislature. Well, well, if you're accepting support and money from corporations or or special interest groups, it's going to be very hard to to be very pure in applying those principles because they don't care about those principles. <laughs> they care about their agenda, and and that's tough, you know. And I, I don't I don't fault anybody for taking money from organizations and 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 uh, you know some of those organizations may be devoted to these principles. Um, but most, most special interest groups have a, a specific agenda and, and that's what politicians buy into when they take the money and, and uh, take that support. I had a, had a friend that contacted me saying, Hey, we want, he was with you know, a very large uh, medical care provider <laughs> in the state of Utah. Mm-hmm. You can probably guess who it is, but, but uh, saying, Hey, we've got that money, you know, to support any legislative candidate who will, you know, get on board. And, and I just said, look, I, I, there's, there's no way. And if you guys go read my website, you won't want to support me. <laughs> so it's fair <laughs> warning. You know? Okay. So I want our listeners to know, okay, here you have a candidate and you just heard exactly what, where, where he's coming from with how he, he would look at every bill and these candidates, 
they need money to run for office. It is, especially in a Senate seat, Senate seats are huge, and they're usually two or three ledge districts in that area. He said 82. We have, we have five legislative or house districts. You have five, five yeah. house districts. Yeah. So, Dan, tell our listeners where they can go to donate to your campaign. Yeah, you can go right to DanSorensenUtah.com. Uh, there's a there's a donate link right there, and we yeah we could, we could use it for sure. The the expensive stuff is coming up with these mailers coming out, and and uh, we have had really good support. Um, not one dollar from any organization, any special interest group. We uh, we haven't even had a uh, you, you and I have talked about this, Chris, but we haven't even had any offer from the Republican Party to to help us. So. Um, it's all come from individuals. We've raised about $34,000 and it's all individuals in the, in the district here. A few of them just outside maybe, but, but, uh, we need to get, we need to get to about 50,000 before we, we cut into the, the Dan and Janice Sorensen family budget, but you know, we'll do that if we have to, but, but, uh, but any support, yeah, that any listeners can give, that'd be very much appreciated. Yeah, so I encourage you all go to that website, Dan Sorensen, and it's S-E-N, yeah. um, Utah.com, and make sure you go there to uh, look at his platform, and then um, if you are liking what you're reading, because I'm telling you, when you have a senator like Dan making votes that protect you, that it doesn't matter which district he's in. It'll affect you if you live in Tremonton, if you live down in Santa Quinn. His votes help protect your rights. And so you want to get these kind of candidates who understand um, the principles of liberty, you want them in office and they're willing to stand for them. And so I really encourage you to go to that website, DanSorensenUtah.com and make a donation of any size. It all adds up and it will all make a difference. So um, Dan, we are just kind of, um, yeah, we're in just to our, final couple of minutes. Is there anything else like um, donate? I mean, people can donate. Yes, of course. But is there a place where they can volunteer and, and uh, help make calls, walk precincts, anything like that for you? Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, the email is, is, is on there too, to, to volunteer. So um, if you, uh, if you have a little time and you'd like to take a, a precinct, like I said, we have 82 precincts and most of them are, have, have got volunteers um, working in them now. Uh, but we have, uh, we have oh, 10 or 12 that, that, that we're trying to cover without anybody. So if, if anybody wants to take an extra, anybody in or out of the district wants to, wants to come and help, you know, the next couple of weeks distribute uh, door hangers and whatnot. We, we love it. Making calls is we'll, we'll, we'll get you on the calling tree. Any, anybody wants to be involved, we we'll take you. And I want you to just, I know we've got like a minute left, but you've got some volunteers that have stepped up to work for you that are millennials that are, well, and not even millennial, they're younger than that. <laughs> no, no, yeah, we've had some great support from, from, from my, my younger friends. Um, and, and they, they're, they're people of all stripes, honestly, you know, gay, straight, uh, godless, God-fearing, <laughs> <laughs> and Liberty appeals to the, everyone, right? Right. The thing that the thing that they all love and and they share a passion for with me is is that respect for for individual liberty, and 
you know, that that's powerful. It really is. I think it's, it's something that, that actually can motivate a lot of young people that are kind of apathetic about politics. That's what we need. We need that in there. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for jumping in the race. I look forward to having you as my state senator. I'm so excited. <laughs> and um, we look forward to November 8th and your finish across the, the win across the finish line. Well, thanks, Chris. We'll give it a go right to the end. So we'll be All working. Right. Well, this has been the Liberty Moms podcast. Thank you for joining us and we'll talk to you next week.